Hello everyone. I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Westfield Sunday service. If you would, please open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. Um, and before we begin, a little bit of a recap of last week, where we saw um, Isaiah was told by God to write on a tablet for Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And we find out later on in the verses that um, that becomes Isaiah's son, who is given through the prophetess. And um, throughout this whole chapter and through the last, since chapter 7 really, we've been seeing this conflict arise in Judah, which has to do with whether or not they should follow Assyria and trust in Assyria's might or something else. And Isaiah is pleading and saying over and over again, follow God, have faith in God, trust in God, don't trust in Assyria. Um, and Maher Shalal Hashbaz is a sign that God is with the people. It's showing that God is with them. Um, but still, there seems to be this, this group within Judah and the king, King Ahaz especially, who continues to know I'm going to trust in Assyria. Um, and so we come to verse 10, and I'll just reread what we read last week. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And this Emmanuel concept is running along with this whole discussion. And so now we're going to see, okay, well, if God is with us, then then what can we trust or what should we trust? So now we're going to come to verses 11 through 15. And if you would like to read along with me, that would be great. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So we continue with Isaiah uh, being given another word from the Lord. That he had a strong hand upon me uh, likely represents the intensity of the experience Isaiah shared with God in both vision and word. The word especially now given focusing on a warning for Isaiah to not fall in step with the people of Israel and Judah. But that begs the question, in what ways should Isaiah be different? The answer comes from the Lord himself as he tells Isaiah to not call conspiracy what the people call conspiracy, nor fear what they fear. The people are being overwhelmed by the political suspicions of the day. Instead of turning toward God, they continue to be paranoid over what's going to happen politically. Yet, if they are doing these things, then what should their response be instead of this paranoia? What is Isaiah to do instead and to be instead? The answer is that Isaiah should not fear the political suspicions of the day, but instead should remain fearful of God. Again, God is the one who is enthroned above all the earth, not the kings and the rulers of the politics of the day. No, God is the one who is seated high and lifted up. If you are going to, to live your life, live by him. If you are going to fear anything, fear him. Essentially, if God is so great, then Isaiah is being commanded, live like God is great. Like what we have encountered thus far in Isaiah, the choices we make have repercussions for good and for ill. If we treat God as he is and live according to him as he is the Lord of all, then the result will be that he is a sanctuary for those who do honor him in this way. 
Yet for those who only give up lip service to God or simply ignore him, then the result will be that anything he does or word he gives will become offensive instead of life-given. By ignoring God, the result will be brokenness. This is true for all of their lives, not just their religion. God expects everything of us, and if we fail to give him everything, then what we don't give will simply fall apart. As such, those who continue to live as though God does not exist, or those who only speak of God but do not truly live for God, will continue to find God offensive. They will continue to be broken against God's words and judgments, and instead of turning toward repentance and faith, um, toward him in repentance and faith, they will continue to fight against God instead, but they'll find that their strength is no match for God's strength. Now we come to verses 16 through 19. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwell on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? There is some debate when it comes to verse 16. Some have held that Isaiah began to separate himself from public ministry because he was unable to convince the populace um, from turning back to God. Hence, the idea of binding and sealing up his teachings might reflect this. But it could also be a reflection of what he was just told. God has been offering himself as the standard. Thus, the experience which God has given to Isaiah is what Isaiah is binding. And teaching what is sealed stems from the word given. In other words, Isaiah is going to hold firm to what God has spoken about himself through the scriptures, through his word. And trust in God rather than the conspiracies the people are holding on to. Indeed, this seems to be affirmed as Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord. Despite God having hidden himself from both houses of Israel, that is Israel and Judah, Isaiah is standing firm on what God has given. There is no reason for him to doubt God who has been so faithful to Isaiah thus far. How has God been faithful? Let us not forget that God had given Isaiah a sign via himself and his own children. Remember how Shear Jashub means a remnant shall return, and that was Isaiah's first son. While Maher Shalal Hashbaz means speeding to the plunder, hurrying to the spoil. Meanwhile, Isaiah's own name means the Lord saves. It seems likely that Isaiah recognizes the very life given to him and his sons and um, sees these as signs used and given are evidence for God's truthfulness and faithfulness during the time. He then does as many prophets do, which is critique the reaction of the people during the day. They will tell him to consult mediums and necromancers in order to find out the truth of the situations they're in. They will turn to occultic means in order to find the truth of the matter. That they chirp and mutter may be a critique against the mediums and necromancers themselves, or the idea that the spirits were thought to speak in high-pitched whispers, and so that's a chirp and a mutter. Regardless, in either case, what makes more sense? To inquire from such mediums and necromancers or God himself? Is it more rational to speak to the dead on behalf of the living or inquire of the living God? 
That is the critique and the question which must be asked of the people who would be willing to turn towards such a cult means for knowledge rather than turning to God. And indeed, this is exactly where Isaiah goes. And we see it 20, verses 20 through 22. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they, do, they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is exactly the conclusion Isaiah comes to. Do not turn toward these means. Instead, turn to the teaching and to the testimony. In other words, turn to God. God has given the scriptures. He's given his word to the prophets in order to make known to us his ways and his desires. Why turn from them into the unknown for your source of knowledge or purpose? Thus, the reason why people so turn away from God and his ways, and instead of turning toward the word, is because they have no dawn. They live in darkness. Only can God, who comes from outside, give us any clear and definitive view for us in the here and now. By rejecting such a witness, it leads to confusion and a lack of truth. The result of such rejection is that they will be distressed and hungry. To be distressed and hungry can be more of a reflection of their spiritual states as well as their physical. Despite having enough, the true answers to their lives, purpose, and meaning goes unanswered. As such, they walk through the darkness in such a state, never being able to find the truth. Indeed, the more they wander, the more they will become angry over what God does offer. Instead of turning in humility and repentance, they will turn their very faces upward. This is a contemptuous, sticking your nose up at something out of disdain. So it is with the people who reject God and reject the word given about God and what he offers. Naturally, those who refuse God will look not only upwards to the heavens, but instead will look downward for their affirmations. Unfortunately, there is nothing in nature which can offer the kind of deliverance which they are seeking. Nature itself will not be able to give them an adequate answer to all the questions of this life. This then leads to individuals who simply live in darkness, having no depth or solution to the great questions which this life poses. Instead of turning toward the light of God, they turn to the darkness of the world in order to grasp their meaning. But instead of finding uh, meaning, they will only find anguish in their purposelessness. So now we come to verse, uh, verse, chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Admittedly, such a life is unfulfilled and undesirable. Thankfully, God does not leave them in a state of gloom, anguish, and again purposelessness. Indeed, it is possible for us to find the answers of this life by God's grace. Though we have lived in darkness, it is possible for the light to shine upon us. Indeed, scholars notice that the land of Zebulun and Naphtali are the first places to be taken over by the Assyrians. Thus, 
for these areas to experience the darkness of being overcome, in the latter time it will be from this same area where the light itself will shine. Indeed, a glorious uh, way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations, is an accurate depiction of Galilee at the time. It was the crossroads for many countries in their various trading routes. As such, it is a significant statement for Israel, who will be overcome first in these areas, for Judah, who will later be overrun, but also the world, who will eventually experience the light from such an area as this. Alright, so the main point of these verses are to show the response of God's people against those of the day. Instead of trusting in conspiracies, the occult, or even nature, in order to find answers for the day's events or life in general, they should look toward God who has offered himself as an alternative to them all. Indeed, Isaiah is encouraged to do just this. Isaiah, having experienced God so greatly, cannot help but turn toward God instead of these other means. The result of turning against God will be darkness and contempt, but to turn toward God is to receive light and purpose. So I've noticed that Isaiah continues to play the role of the three Ps, and these are different Ps than normal. The first is clearly a prophet, declaring the word of the Lord to the people. But he also plays the role of the pastor. He feeds his flock with the obedience to God's word and the faithfulness to proclaim that word. And finally, the philosopher, though, utilizing wisdom to show the futility of following something other than God in this life. In this way, we find he has a transcendent understanding of the world, which is a perspective given to him by God. Thus, in all these ways, Isaiah is simply being obedient to this God who exists and has revealed himself. Today's text is no exception to Isaiah's ministry, when it, which is obedience to the word of God. We can see this as we reflect on this with what God cautions Isaiah against, and then the way in which Isaiah then understands the world in light of the caution. What was it that God cautioned Isaiah against? Conspiracies. What is a Conspiracy. The definition of a conspiracy is usually negative, focused on two or more individuals seeking to reach some unjust, illegal, bad, or simply evil goal. While there can be a connotation of it being more neutral, generally it is still negative. In our world today, we are chock full of conspiracies, which oftentimes cause us to doubt what we know. Whether it is scientific conspiracies, government conspiracies, some world order control conspiracies. We've all seen them and heard about them in some way or another. With the advent of the internet, such conspiracies have only gained more momentum. It doesn't help that we have never truly trained ourselves or trained each other to think rationally and logically about the world around us. Because of this, more and more individuals are believing conspiracies as the days goes on. I know of an individual, for example, whom I work with, who has spent time on these conspiracies. He watches, he'll watch YouTube videos or read articles on various websites. As time goes on, though, the more this individual began to believe in the conspiracies, the more he became fearful. Indeed, one can even say that he began to dread life. If these conspiracy theories are true, then the whole world in which he knows is shaken and the foundation laid for reality is destroyed. So it is with conspiracies. The more we feed into conspiracies, the more we find ourselves being distrustful of those whom the conspiracies are about, or 
those who pro propagate such theories. I know a lot of people are immediately thinking politically about all this too. Right now there are a ton of conspiracies about the president, generally propagated by the mainstream media. Many people believe the conspiracies who listen to the media. Meanwhile, those on the other side tend to not trust the mainstream media because of what they're saying, and they think that it's all conspiracy. Now, it's interesting as we consider this, because I remember a number of years ago now when a previous president was in office, and everyone who was angry at the mainstream media for propagating conspiracies against the current president were themselves saying the same kind of conspiracies as those do today for this president. Round and round the conspiracy train goes. Where it stops, seemingly nobody knows. But what does God say about conspiracies? He demolishes them for Isaiah in two ways. The first way is by telling Isaiah to not propagate the same conspiracies as those around him. And the second is to not be afraid of them. Isaiah's call as a faithful follower of God is to not peddle impossibility or encourage untruth, but instead to seek out the truth. To not be swayed by the conspiracies, but to find the truth of the matter in the situation he is in. God does not only tell Isaiah what not to do, though. He also continues by prescribing to Isaiah what he should do. Don't fear the conspiracies. Fear God. God is high and lifted up, whose plans come to fruition every time. Conspiracies, they are just that. We have no idea if they will come to pass, let alone how much truth is provided. God, however, is the truth, and in him we find the way we should live our lives. If we should fear anything, we shouldn't fear the assumptions or presumptions of man, but the reality of God, who is supreme above all else. Now that would be enough. But the truth is, Isaiah himself learns from the concept of God telling him to not fear the untruth of the world, but to instead fear the truth of God. This leads Isaiah to first the occult and second to nature. How interesting. This is the same thing we often find in our own world, isn't it? But let's break it down further. In regards to the occult, we see how the individuals were willing to speak to the dead on behalf of the living. They were willing, uh, willingly going to see spiritualists, mediums, in order to ascertain what was going on and how they should live their lives in light of those circumstances. The same thing happens in our own world when it comes to the occult today. There are many individuals who wonder about the afterlife, and so they go to mediums in order to talk to the deceased relatives. They want to know what it's like and ironically want to know about the future because if the dead can talk, then that implies, implies there's something beyond the grave. Yet like thousands of years ago, the mediums of today only chirp and mutter. Instead of trusting in God and his word to describe the reality and the afterlife, people willingly go to the occult in order to ascertain such things. It's no different 2,000 years, 3,000, 4,000 years later. Before we become critical, though, we Christians need to ask if it is possible Christians have done the same thing. Years ago, there was a book written by a boy who had a near-death experience. The book was called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. The boy had been in a car accident with his father and was paralyzed from the incident. After the fact, the father and son wrote the book. It became a national bestseller, selling millions of copies. Indeed, many Christians even read it, and then they argued it affirmed the afterlife. See, heaven does exist. 
But what happened? Well, in 2015, the boy came out and said the entire book was a lie. He was coaxed by his father into writing it. Now the boy wants nothing to do with the book and has even sued the publishing company to get his name off the book's print. Isn't this just another example, however, of us attempting to utilize the occult in order to affirm our own beliefs? What does Isaiah conclude when discussing those who use the occult in order to try to affirm reality? He says, why consult the dead concerning the living? What else does he say? To the teaching and to the testimony. The teaching and the testimony of the word of God in our lives. By the preaching of the word, we are able to understand reality which has been established by God. The cosmos has such a particular order, a reasonable order, and it has one based upon the set parameters given by this reasonable God who exists and brought it all into existence. Just as Isaiah and his sons were evidence of this amazing God, so it is with our lives as well. We who were once in darkness have seen a marvelous light, and when we live our lives in that light, with the knowledge of who God is and what he has done and how by him and through him we move and have our being and we become living testimonies to the power that is the word of God. Thus God offers us a transcendent view of reality which is total and found in him. Though the occultists and the spiritualists all have some minor grain of truth, without the word of God it becomes little more than fiction. The word, however, gives us the true picture. This now leads to the other side of the spectrum. Not only are there those who would follow a spiritual worldview, there are those who would become embittered and follow a natural one. Notice how the people in today's text stumble over the truth and this leads them to look around at nature instead and try to find their meaning and purpose within it. But the conclusion is the same then as it is today. Those who look only to nature will find only darkness. We have seen before how the universe itself is slowly losing energy and because of this, if we place our existence and purpose only in the universe, the conclusion is the same dark void which the universe will become. Within nature alone, we have no meaning or purpose just as nature itself has no meaning or purpose within itself. If one were to see our culture today, we see many who have fallen into this trap. They continue to live as though their view of reality were correct, but the truth is they continue to stumble along in the darkness without any hope. The irony in their belief is that they continue on as though their lives mattered, having a great disillusionment when it comes to their own view of the world. If they were consistent, they would recognize nothing they do really matters and therefore nothing that they have matters and nothing they are matters. Does God give a prescription for this? Just as he does with all things which fall under false categories, so it is with this understanding. Just as the spiritualists sought something other than God for understanding, God offered himself. So it is with the naturalists. God offers himself. Through God we have purpose and meaning in this life. Thus from the beginning God is a God of truth. The world offers conspiracies which lead to fear. And again, God offers himself, which when compared to us, 
should indeed cause fear. When the world offers assurances of the spiritualists, God offers himself by giving us his word for the truth. When the world offers us naturalists seeking to define us by nature and thereby come to an incredible angst and brutal sorrow, God offers himself where we can find the truth of who we are. He offers us these things through his word and also through the experiences we have with him as we walk in his light. As such, heed the warnings found in today's text. Despite being written so long ago to a culture seemingly so different than our own, the truth is they struggled with the same things we struggle with. They look to the other sources just as we do for their assurances. Instead of their understanding coming from God, they sought themselves, their own reason, and came to their own assurances. Unfortunately, such assurances only lead to unwarranted fear, lies, and unfathomable sorrow. Instead of this, instead of unwarranted fear, have fear which is warranted. Instead of having lies, have the truth. Instead of sorrow, find peace. All of these things contradict the world, and yet they all come from a God who is far above it, seated high and lifted up. Will you join Isaiah then in binding it all up, sealing it amongst each other? Will you turn away from the gloom and step forth into the dawn? For this is what is before us, what is true and what is false. Join Isaiah then by standing firm on the faith by which you were called. For it is only by faith we will have a strong foundation for life and be able to know that we live in the truth. And so the gospel is found here in Isaiah. Next week we're going to see how the gospel comes full force. But even right now we're able to see it. With current events as they are in our world, I think it's pertinent that we continue to remind ourselves of how the gospel begins, which is that God exists and he created the whole cosmos. And that in the midst of that creation, he created us to bear his image. I know that it's easy for us to get exhausted by this teaching. The image of God, the imago dei. But the truth is, in our world today, the only thing that will truly be able to break the bonds of racism and xenophobia are if we have a transcendent view of humanity, which is from beyond us. Christianity the Judeo-Christian faith offers this view in the Amajo Dei. It's in the recognition that we are all created in God's image and therefore we all have dignity, sanctity, and worth to life. If we refuse to look at each other from this transcendent view and if we only look at each other through naturalist views, then in the end we will never become anything more than div- divided people. But we are reminded Today is Pentecost. Today is a time when we can be fully assured over the coming of the Holy Spirit upon us. But it's not just upon you and I, it's upon all who believe. And this brings unity. But this has to go back though, right? Because here's the problem. Sin causes within us brokenness. It causes cognitive malfunction. We start to look at people in the wrong perspective. We look at people not as brothers and sisters under the Imago Dei. We look at people based upon their race or their gender or their age 
and we categorize people, and this is how we view people only in these particular categories rather than one that combines them all. And because of this, it causes us to hate people. It causes us to look upon people with distrust. And basically, it's a Tower of Babel all over again. Where at Babel, we saw the disunity of humanity come upon us by God and the curse. And so because of this, sin is not only going to cause us to have cognitive malfunction. It's not only going to cause us to look at people wrongly. It's also going to cause us to sin against people. It's going to cause us to lie, cheat, steal. And all of this causes us to sin not only against each other and ourselves, but ultimately against God because every sin is really against God. Even the ones we do against each other because it's his law. It's his morality that we break. And so that leaves us with a problem because we're all guilty then of this. We're all guilty of breaking God's law and every single one of us deserves judgment for all of these things, for all of sin that we commit. So then the question is, how can we as a people be redeemed? How can you and I come to a better understanding? And the answer is the same as with Isaiah today, through the word of God. John, the Gospel of John, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How beautiful that the Word would become flesh. And it became flesh through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Word of God. The Son of God. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in time, space, history, and flesh, we can be redeemed. We can find the truth. And in Christ, the dawn has come. Something Isaiah saw in the far distant future. And he lived as though he were living in it because he knew that that was the truth. That no matter what experience, darkness he was in, he could look and he saw the dawn. Even though he wasn't living in it yet. But because he knew God, he knew it would happen. And he continued to trust in that and have hope in that. We are living in the dawn. The light has come. Jesus Christ. Earlier I talked about Pentecost. And the reason why is because in our world, the only way to break the barriers is if God himself breaks them. Pentecost is the perfect example of this happening. If you remember at Pentecost, they were there in the room and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what did they do immediately when that happened? They went out and they proclaimed the gospel. And what happened? People heard it in their own languages. And it was like for the first time, after so many years after Babel, Babel was destroyed. The curse was undone. People could be unified again. So as we continue forward, we have to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us of this. There can be unity. And the word that Isaiah is speaking to us is the fact that it's a sanctuary for us. Jesus Christ is a sanctuary. We don't get broken over him. Instead, he provides justice and he shows us what it looks like. And so we mourn when an injustice occurs. Like what's happened recently in our society. 
with Mr. Floyd. And we should look at that as not something which is good. And we shouldn't try to justify it, but instead we should say that is an act of evil. And we can call it evil because we know God. And we can say, God, send your justice. All of this is leading us to glory. I encourage all of you, though, to continue to seek out the word. And to be thankful that Isaiah was so faithful to that word. And to emulate Isaiah as he knew what he knew and was provided by God with the truth that we should learn the truth as well. And that we should live in it and desire to honor it. To honor God who is our sanctuary. Be transformed by this. And know that God has taken away all of our false beliefs and has provided the truth himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you so much for the prophet Isaiah who continues to remind us of the greatness of you and who you are. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to show us how you are our sanctuary. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to remind us of the gospel of your son, Jesus, that we would dwell in the light of Christ and not cling to darkness. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have done, for what you have overcome. We thank you so much for your word, which provides the truth in a world full of lies. Lord, let us continue to desire this truth above all. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I hope all of you have a wonderful Sunday. I hope you have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless. Hope to see you soon.